Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the stage the president of Youngstown State University. Larry? Thank you. Can you hear me? Larry? Thank you. Yes, ma'am. Can you hear me? Hello, everyone, and welcome to Kilowatt. My name is Bodie, and I am your host. And, man, that is a good representation of how my day went today. It started off, well, I woke up at around 8, but it started off at 10, and I started prepping for the show, did the Lordstown presentation, cut up the clips for that, made notes, all that stuff. That took about two hours. And then I was like, let's get to some hardcore news. And the first news article I read was that Tesla had some sort of presentation or there was some sort of public meeting with Travis County officials outside of Austin, Texas on a factory. And I was like, you know what? I've already cut up all this stuff for Lordstown. Let's just make it a whole media show and I'll do the Travis County. uh, (laughs) I'll do the Travis County public meeting. Because there was a public meeting, a very famous public public meeting right before Apple did their spaceship campus with Steve Jobs. And it was to me, it was very inspiring. I'm going to be honest, this Travis County one wasn't quite as inspiring, but it was still full of some good information. The entire video or the entire meeting, I think, was two hours and 45 minutes long. They had over 40 people waiting either on the phone or through Zoom to make public comment. And I listened to the entire presentation. However, I did not include all of the public comment, and I didn't include all of the actual um, meeting, because that would have been ridiculous. A lot of it is just central to Austin. I kind of took out what I thought was important uh, for people who listen to this show. All right, let's talk about the things that I like. I want to start off by saying hello to Steve. Steve was interviewed on the True North EVs podcast. They mentioned Kilowatt, and they said nice things about Kilowatt. So I want to say hello to James, and I want to say hello to Steve. Thank you very much for listening to the show. Um, There's a link in the True North, or excuse me, there's a link in the show notes to the True North EVs podcast. They're a good companion show to this show. James lives in Canada. James started this interview series where he interviews people from typically from cold climates. And they, as a general rule, they have a car, an electric vehicle that's not a Tesla. And they have all these unique perspectives. And I'm learning a lot from these interviews. And if you would like to listen, go to the link in the show notes because it's, it's really good. James is knocking it out of the park. It's a good, like I said, companion to this podcast. I talk about news. James is talking about real life. 
and uh, I highly encourage you to check it out. I'd also like to thank Patreon supporter Cameron. Cameron has been a Patreon supporter for nearly two years, next month, two years. And he was kind of the catalyst, the wake-up call for me improving the audio for this show. So thank you very much, Cameron. And uh, I appreciate you being a supporter. I want to thank all of the Patreon supporters. And if you would like to support the show, go to patreon.com forward slash kilowatt. We have two tiers. Take a peek. And if you're interested, you know, join us, support the show. Let's jump right into the Lordstown Motors presentation. First, the president of Lordstown University, Coach Jim, I don't remember his last name, he gave a nice little welcome speech. It's nothing that I would consider interesting. Um, by the way, I didn't see one mask on of anybody that was on stage, and they definitely weren't social distancing seen while they were on stage. Uh, I didn't see anybody in the crowd wearing masks, although they could have. I did see some people backstage wearing masks, just FYI. Uh, There was a representative from Goodyear Tire. She took the stage and really didn't say much of anything other than they were making tires for Lordstown Motors Endurance. And then I'm going to play a clip from a video that they did, and it kind of tells a little bit of a story about the process and why Lordstown bought the factory in Lordstown Motors bought the factory in Lordstown. Initially, Lordstown Motors, I believe, was called Amp, so they changed it when they moved to Lordstown. Uh, and just right off, there's a beautiful drone shot of a whole field full of solar panels, and then the, there's interior shots of the, the actual plant itself. So let's take a listen. The narration is pretty good. I should mention real quick that the actual audio from the feed was not fantastic, so it's kind of quiet, so just so you know. Be aware. This physical plant we have that for 53 years made vehicles seven days a week here, this plant has produced 400,000 vehicles a year. There's very few plants on planet Earth that have built as many vehicles as this. It's a gem of a building. The plant itself is very, very capable. It's very modern, even though it's 53 years old, it's, it's got modern equipment. It has robots, it has stamping machines, all the welders, a very modern paint booth. It has the assembly line that enables high volume production. We're able to retool this and reconfigure it for our purposes to make electric pickup trucks here. The stamping presses is where it all starts. Raw metal comes into the back of this building, off of the train tracks and these machines start to stamp it into the bare parts. Next, the robots get it, and they start to to weld it into the structure. And then it gets dipped. gets assembled. It's mostly workers on a line, a moving line, very automated line, uh, where every bolt is tracked. Every torque wrench, it's tracked and it bubbles up to the servers. 
And that infrastructure and the total kind of man-machine interface that this machine of our planet has made, and for us to just reconfigure it, right? If we were to build this from scratch, it just wouldn't be possible. They aren't going to make buildings like this again. And so we're taking it, we're reconfiguring it for our purposes, and we've been really pleased with the equipment here and the resources we've been able to find here. To produce a vehicle is not trivial, and uh, no matter what kind of vehicle it is, it still has a steering wheel and seats and seat belts and airbags and doors, door handles and windows and windshields. And, and that takes to do that every time the same quality and to do it at a good, good economical price point uh, takes a lot of automation and a lot of people. And, and this plant has been uh, perfect for us. I'm Steve Burns. This is Lordstown Motors. So that's kind of a just kind of a brief introduction of Lordstown Motors. Initially, I think Lordstown was um, AMP. I don't know if they're AMP Motors or they're just called AMP, and then they changed their name to Lordstown when they got the factory. Interesting little tidbit here about CEO Steve Burns, and they're going to mention this in the next clip, at least the first part. He was involved in a company that built a piece of Siri, which is Apple's personal system app. I don't know if he was involved in creating the entire stack for Siri or if they, they just owned a piece of Siri, but that's just kind of a nice gee whiz kind of a thing. When Apple actually bought Siri, he was quoted as saying that it was very lucrative for the mobile voice control team, and I'm sure it was. He also worked for Workhorse Motors, and I can't remember exactly in what capacity. It was an executive role, but just kind of give you an idea of where this guy comes from. So let's hear a little brief introduction of CEO Steve Burns by Coach Jim. How about that? How fortunate are we right here in the Valley to have a facility like this? When this opportunity came to be that this facility was available... The people that went to work, whether it was our elected officials on the federal and state and local levels or the local business community or just the people encouraging that we've got to make something great happen in this facility, it's been a joy to watch and that collaboration has brought us to this day. The voice you heard was Steve Burns. We are so fortunate in this valley and in this state and country to have Steve Burns. He's got unbelievable tenacity. And I, I realized, I guess he was a pretty good wrestler at one point in time, so I can see why he has that tenacity. Graduate of Cincinnati Muller High School, went on to the Ohio State University studying electrical engineering, went out and began an innovative entrepreneurial career that has been extraordinary. Coming up with innovation, building up companies, selling them. I'm sure most of you remember when mobile voice control was invented, which became Siri. That's Steve Burns. That's the type of innovator we have right here in the Mahoning Valley in this wonderful plant. But perhaps the thing that has been most impressive as we've watched him come in in such a quick time to take on this dream, 
to make his home state the center of the electrification of first the pickup truck and then beyond, he has put together a team of people with experiences all over the world, with experiences of putting plants together, making plants better, making efficiencies better, making ergonomics better, an amazing team of real champions. So we're fortunate here today to have you hear from our leader, Lordstown Motors. Please welcome Steve Burns. So in the next clip that we're going to listen to, Steve, which we're on a first name basis, he and I, he is going to kind of give us a, an overview or a brief history of Lordstown Motors. So we'll listen to Steve. I thought, you know, this is about the truck, and we're going to show you the truck in a minute. And that's the, that's the bell of the ball, but I thought I'd just take a minute uh, about how we all came to be here today, right? Why are we in Lordstown, Ohio? Why is a company called Lordstown Motors? And it kind of started when GM announced that they were going to close the plant. And the plant is what drew us here, right? In this plant, you're probably seeing one-fiftieth of it, right? This is uh, six million square feet. This is uh, 108 football fields under roof, right? There's thousands of robots in here. There's a whole entire building just for the paint, right? Behind us is the stamping machines that take the raw metal, stamp them into body parts. And, and I hope if you've never seen an industrial robot before, you get a chance to look at some of the ones that are moving here. They're, they're quite fascinating. But GM did us a great service, right? So GM was exiting the building, but they wanted to continue making cars here or vehicles here. And we promised to do that. And that's really how we got it. But we said, for us to do it in any time this millennium, could you leave it intact? When a, when a building, factories are hard to get. When they, are, when they are purchased, they're usually gutted. We asked GM to leave this fully intact, still warm for when it made its last cruise, right? And that was a big ask, but they did it. Uh, and so our job is we don't have to pop, we don't have to build a plant, populate it with robots. We just have to reconfigure this plant. And that's what we're busy in here doing. And uh, it's, going, it's going great. Um, we're going to show you a prototype, you know, but next year we will be making the real McCoy, you know, production level out of this plant. Our, our goal is to be the first electric pickup truck in the world, right? And I think everybody knows the status of pickup trucks in the United States, right? People are buried in their Ford 150. They have such loyalty to it, right? I, I think uh, everybody's aware of that brand loyalty. But we are coming in with essentially a 75-mile-per-gallon pickup truck. And for the folks we sell to, fleets, right, cost is king, and we are the least expensive pickup truck. But in the end, it still had to look good. We could automate this factory to the teeth with a great team that we have, but if the vehicle didn't look good, it probably wouldn't sell well. So it's a, we had to balance all of that in the design of it. I'm just kind of prepping you for when you, when you see it. Um, and uh, it took a great team to do that. So we have, 
in, in something like this, an endeavor like this, a world-changing endeavor like this, it takes a team. The whole thing's about team, right? The robots are good. They're a great team member. But the humans are the key, right? So we have been fortunate enough that we've been able to, able to attract just the best of the best from old-school automotive, from new automotive, from, uh, from battery, from, from all the people that, that know how to make these robots sing uh, across the board. So I, I thought that would be the tough part. I thought it would be tough to get people to move here, tough to be, get people to leave a perfectly good job to come to a startup. Uh, but the, the dream is so uh, big that a lot of people wanted to join that dream. And so we've been able to attract, and, and as the day goes on, if you see anybody in a Lordstown uh, shirt, you know, I encourage you to say hi to them and just get a little feel of the depth of, of what we have here. All right, so for the, let's talk about the truck for a minute, right? The truck's name is Endurance, right? That name has a kind of a dual meaning, right? It's an electric truck and it goes very far in a charge and it's a very tough truck and it's built for people that need tough trucks and so it can endure. But the people of this valley have endured, right? The, the grit, that's the only word I can really think of to describe how, how the workforce is in this part of the world, right? That's why we're here. The factory attracted us here, but this workforce, the toughness of them, um, the skill set that they have, uh, the, the, the work ethic, right? So that really attracted us here. Uh, and so we, the, the name endurance on the truck is also for the people that are building this truck, right? Um, if we were going to make a truck that gets 75 miles per gallon equivalent, right? I think everybody probably realizes pickup trucks get about 16 or 17 miles per gallon, right? And, and they have for 30 years. And, and that isn't going to change much. Right? That's just physics of an internal combustion engine and an automatic transmission and all the routing of the power and differentials and gears and U-joints and drive shafts. It's stuck there for a reason. Physics, you can't... Sometimes I try to bend physics, it never works. You cannot bend physics, right? And, and so they're stuck there. So how do we as a newcomer come out with a truck that gets 75 miles per gallon equivalent? Now, when I say equivalent, everybody thinks in terms of miles per gallon. Of course, an electric truck doesn't use gasoline, but the government has an equation to, to do an equivalency. So um, how, did, how did we do that? Right. We had to build a truck, although it looks like a pickup truck pretty much on the outside. Underneath, it's like no other truck. And the big innovation we have, I mean, our battery is, of course, very important in a truck this size. But the big innovation we have is something called these hub motors. So there are only four moving parts in the drivetrain of this vehicle. And those are the four wheels. Just to put that in perspective, a modern-day four-wheel drive pickup truck has thousands of moving parts the pistons, the valves, the crankshaft, the differential, the gears, the driveshaft, the U-joints. Thousands of moving parts. Every moving part has to be lubricated, every moving part can wear, and every moving part is a decrease in efficiency. You've got thousands of these little moving parts. 
And we've perfected it over the years. When you get in your, your car, it starts and it gets you it, where you want to go and it does not break down. We have perfected it, but we haven't reinvented it, right? So even a Model T had 700 moving parts in its drivetrain. The simplest vehicle, the Model T. We have four. So, um, and if you've never heard of a hub motor, I, I usually equate it to these Lime and the Bird scooters that you see in all the cities, right? There isn't a motor on that with a sprocket with a chain going back to the back wheel, right? Those scooters burst upon planet Earth because of the innovation of a hub motor. It made those possible. And we just have very robust and big, tough hub motors. And the software to control those hub motors is unique, right? You have a computer and a very powerful motor on each wheel. And, and so we boldly claim a few things. We will have the best traction of any pickup truck ever made. We will be the safest pickup truck ever made. Right? Of course, we're getting the best fuel economy of any pickup truck ever made. When I say that, we don't say that lightly. We understand the millions of man hours. I, I think, I don't think there's a way to get a stat on this, but the human endeavor, the human experience, I don't think anything has been engineered as much as the modern day vehicle, right? Our society is built around automotive. Uh, so when I say we're the best at this and the best at that, we, we don't say that lightly. But we are gonna be the safest because we don't have a V8 engine in the front, and we got a lot of crush area, right? Crush is what saves you in, a, in an accident. Our battery is low. Our hub motors put weight literally on the four corners on the ground. We handle better than any pickup truck. This handles like a sports car. It's a pickup truck that handles like a sports car. So um, it, it's just a reinvention, right? But, you know, reinvention at the wrong time, if you're too early or too late, doesn't work. And this, this is a little bit of luck and providence. We are hitting it at the exact right time, right? Some of the earlier cars that have paved the way for electric, people are starting to believe in electric. Suddenly there's four or five companies going to come out with electric pickup trucks in several years, right? We're going to beat everyone to market, right? So timing is perfect. We expect, um, we have already... We've already sold. So normally you do not start the sales process until today, when you can drive the vehicle on the stage and people can see it, get a feel for it, drive it, understands its presence, its, its use case. But we, we didn't have that luxury. We had to know a little early, before we bought this or before we got too deep into this, would fleets buy an electric pickup truck from a new unknown startup OEM, right? So we started pre-selling. And I think we have, we, we have our whole year, our first year of production already pre-sold. And we haven't even showed the vehicle yet. If we get lucky, today we might get five-fold that, you know, people buying online once they see it. So we're very excited. This is the, probably the biggest moment, moment in a car company when you unveil it for the first time. And again, when you see it, I ask you to think about it, it looks like a pickup truck on the outside, but underneath, it's, uh, it's like nothing else. So how do you do that? You have some very great design engineers.
very great production engineers to build it. Uh, it, it, takes, um, it takes almost every discipline you can imagine, right? It's, it's electrical engineers and mechanical engineers, right? But also chemical engineers and just the whole gamut. And you got to sell these things, so it takes a, a great sales staff, right? And uh, uh, all the things that it takes to... We are standing up a car company from scratch here. And we wanted to have this event in the factory just to give you a little feel for what, it, what that means, right, and how hard that is. And um, the last thing I'll say is I think, I, I think people expect this kind of innovation to come from the coasts, right? And there's, nothing, there's nothing wrong with California. But the Midwest is where cars are made. The Midwest happens to be where most pickup trucks are sold. Uh, and so we thought, why should California have all the fun? We think our people can, can do the same thing or even better. So right here in the heart of the Midwest, in a place, the, a little bit of irony that this place wasn't known for electrification, right? But it was known for building cars, good cars, high volume. This factory is built for one thing in life, high volume manufacturing of cars. They were putting out about over 400,000 cruises a year here when it was GM. We think we can put out about 600,000 of our vehicles because they're much simpler to assemble, right, because of the reduced parts. So um, that's um, right, right here in this part of the world, that's quite radical. And what we hope is around here, what typically happens with automotive is for every automotive job, there is eight ancillary jobs, right? Suppliers start to be close to the, to the factory, so there isn't as much travel time for the parts. Restaurants, hotels, all the things that spring up to support, you know, a village here of all these workers. So we're hoping to, to encourage all that to happen here. We're calling it the Voltage Valley because we think it has a chance to become the electrification hub of the Midwest, maybe even the country. So we're quite excited about it. Um, I, I want to thank all the family members that are here because that have let us borrow your, your significant other or your mom or your dad um, because I know everybody's been working so hard here and um, we'll try to get back to a little more balanced life uh, because, you know, family life is everything. Uh, and if you don't have good, good underpinnings, it won't work. So we've got a uh, great factory, a, a great team, a great market, and it's just a great time. It's the time. I've been too early and I've been too late in some endeavors. Both are brutal, right? And you can't always control it. We just hit it right. But we really think we've hit it right here. And when you see this truck, if it's as, as good as we think it is, um, we're going to sell a lot of them. And we're going to, the name Lordstown, the name of this small town, is going to be on trucks all across the country and maybe even outside the country if we're successful. So I just want to thank everybody. I want to thank God for, for our country and for our company, and may he continue to bless us. Thanks, everybody. So just to recap there, there's still no real clarification between the partnership between Lordstown and GM. Um, they did reconfirm that their main customers, at least initially, will be fleets, Production by 2021 kind of sounds like that's 
um, likely to happen since everything's already in the factory and they just need to retool it. We'll see where that goes. Let's talk about the truck. And here's where I get very disappointed. Um, from here on out in the presentation was disappointing. They talked about the hub motors. That's pretty cool. Uh, there's a motor in each wheel hub. So there's four motors. If the software works, like he says, it will, the traction will actually be pretty amazing. We've seen this kind of stuff in prototypes. Um, but I don't think we've seen it in a production version. I could be wrong. He mentions the crush area. Those are also known as crumple zones. The car is actually designed to, and all cars are designed this way, all modern cars are designed to crumple in a way that takes all of the energy that uh, would be transferred into the passenger compartment. Would That energy would is now transferred or a lot of it is transferred around the passenger compartment. That's why when you pass by a vehicle, um, an automobile accident, and you're like, Ooh, those cars look really bad. Oftentimes the people inside those cars are fine or maybe banged up a little bit, but nowhere near as bad they, as they would be if there wasn't crumple zones. Like oftentimes the vehicle looks worse than the, the, the reality of the accident. When I first started as a firefighter and as a volunteer in 1993, they used to teach us like, look at the car. Like if you, when you get on scene and you're doing your triage, look at the car, it's a car in bad shape. That means that the actual passengers or the patients inside that vehicle, they may be in bad shape and they may be actually hiding some sort of hidden trauma. And on some level that can be still true today, but as a general rule, um, the doctors, they're like, don't, don't treat the car, treat the patient. If the car accident's bad, but the patient is acting normal, then treat the patient as that they're normal until conditions, you know, change. So, um, yeah, that's what the crumple zones or crush area is. The first year of pre-production is, or excuse me, the first year of production is pre-sold. I wonder how many that actually is five to 10,000 or is it less than that? I would, I wouldn't say that it's more than 10,000 vehicles made in the first year. Uh, I would be very surprised if that was the case. They did say with electric vehicles, the max production at the factory would be 600,000. Uh, I would say if they're building a hundred thousand a year of just one pickup truck, I think they're doing pretty good. And then they mentioned that they're trying to rename the Lordstown area, the Voltage Valley. Um, I mean, you know, if you build it, they will come. We'll see if that actually, in fact, is going to be called the Voltage Valley. Uh, but I like their tenacity. And then in, for the rest of the presentation, oh, they, excuse me. After Steve got off the stage, Secretary of Energy Dan Boulay he got on. He said nothing of some sub. Excuse me, nothing of substance. And then they drove the truck through the factory, and they filmed all this cool footage of the truck driving through the factory. And then it drove up onto the stage. And lo and behold, Mike Pence, who we knew was in in the truck, or we knew was at the event, he jumps out of the truck, Vice President of the United States, and he gave a talk. And effectively. There was a little bit that had to do with we're bringing jobs back to Ohio, which I'm fine with, that kind of stuff. I don't care what your politics are. Um, you know, that kind of thing makes sense to me. Uh, that's what you're there for is showing that, kind of reinforcing that the United States cares about Ohio and the Rust Belt, that whole area that uh, they're in. But then 
he gave a, what was effectively a stump speech after that, which is a political speech. And it was it was like 20 minutes long. And I was like, this this has nothing to do with what's going on here. Um, so I listened to the whole thing just in case there was some nuggets, but I'm not going to play any of it because, there were, again, there was nothing of substance there. They did not give any details on specs on this vehicle. They did not show off the interior of this vehicle. The only details they gave on the vehicle itself were in the presentation was that it had four uh, motors in the hubs. And that was it. And I was like, okay, well, I'll just go look up the specs. And then I thought to myself, no, I'm not going to. Like, if you can't be bothered to put it in your big reveal, uh, the specs that have kind of already been out there, then I'm I'm not going to go look it up for you. So uh, that was a little disappointing to me, if I'm being honest. But other than that, um, I thought the truck looks great. I love that there are motors in each hub. I think that that's fantastic, and it's going to set them apart. And I hope that they succeed. I just hope the next presentation they do, and I understand COVID and all that stuff is a weird time, but I hope the next presentation they do um, is a little bit, um, I don't want to say worth our time to view it, more exciting, because we're there for the truck. I mean, I want to learn a little bit more about the company. I want to learn about the people behind the company. But ultimately, we're all there for the unveiling of the truck, and we already kind of knew what the truck looked like. So... Uh, it, it fell flat in that regard to me. All right, let's switch gears here to the Travis County Tesla public meeting. Um, Judge Briscoe in our first clip here, Briscoe, excuse me. He was a, I really like this guy. Uh, I spent three hours with him almost. He gave, in this first clip, he's going to give kind of an outline of what to expect for the presentation. So let's go ahead and listen to that. We have returned from uh, our lunch recess. Commissioner Doherty should join us momentarily. But we are about to discuss item number 18. And we indicated to uh, many members of the public that we would call that item up at 1.30, so we're pretty close to it. 18A is a staff presentation and recommendation of the Colorado River Project, LLC, Sole owner, Tesla, Inc. Application for an economic development performance agreement with the Travis County Code Chapter 28, under, under Travis County Code Chapter 28. B would be company presentation on the proposed project. C would be public comment on the proposed project and a staff recommendation. Uh, we have uh, had from staff members uh, a request uh, to let uh, county staff speak first, then the county consultant, uh, John uh, Hockenvos, uh, second, uh, then uh, staff wants to present a slide presentation, then the Tesla speakers, and uh, then hear from the uh, public. Uh, and uh, if court members want to uh, ask questions or give comment after the Tesla presentation, that's, fi that's fine with me, too. Uh, my estimate is that it'll take probably an hour to get through these presentations and get to uh, public comment. So, uh, Larry, you'll be arranging callers so when we take public comment, they'll be able to uh, provide input as they see uh, fit. 
I will judge and just be advised there are about 25 callers already on the line. Okay. Unfortunately, with 25 callers, we will need to implement a three-minute time limit. All right. For whatever reason, I really liked this gentleman. Um, He just seemed like a a very, he was very nice and very cordial, but you could tell that there wasn't a lot of room to test him. And he honored the process throughout the whole uh, meeting, which I I don't know if he does this all day long. There was like an, the whole video was eight, eight hours, but that included other events. But anyway, I really liked him. Uh, next is Deanna Ramirez, and she's going to give a brief overview of what Tesla is offering and then what they want in return. Good afternoon, Judge Commissioners. This is Deanna Ramirez with Travis County Economic Development and Strategic Investments within the Planning and Budget Office. And today we'll be making a presentation um, to court, and I'm going to start sharing content. So. Um, you have that, and it's a PowerPoint presentation. Um, I'll kick it off and then um, hand it over to um, John Hockenyos. Um So John will be going over the economic development um, impact analysis that he um, prepared for commissioner's court under, um, under contract with Travis County. And then I'll introduce... Um, the um, representatives from Tesla to um, share some some comments with that with us on um, you know on their rationale for wanting to be in Travis County um, and with that I'll get started um, with an overview of the project it will be an electric vehicle manufacturing plant um, with the initial construction of one or more product lines. Um, the final build-out will be four to five million square feet, square feet of manufacturing plant. Um, the estimate is a billion dollars in investment in new construction and business personal property, um, creating a little over 5,000 jobs. Approximately 65% of those jobs are unskilled labor, or that is um, labor that does not require um, a college degree or advanced certifications. Um, um, all of the, the labor on site will, will at least meet the $15 an hour living wage that uh, the commissioner's court has established. The average annual salary is estimated at $47,147 with full benefits. The location of the project, of, of the proposed project is in Precinct 1 at the intersection of State Highway 130 and Harold Green Road, just north of the Colorado River. Um, and it goes west to FM um, 973. And it's currently um, a aggregate mining site. Um, and now I'll uh, introduce John Hockenews, who's our, um, our economic analyst uh, to talk about his um, company review, economic and tax rate be- impacts, and the benefit and cost to Travis County. And before I do, I just want to let everyone know that um, we have increased our application fee for this project. Um, our policy includes a $1,000 application fee, which is something that does not pay for any of the time of staff or consultants. So we increased that to $150,000. 
and then we contracted with THP Inc. It's John Hawkins's um, organization. John. Okay. Before we get to John, um, first, the everybody's doing these things on either phone, over the phone or through Zoom. So the audio is just dreadful, but makes my audio look better, sound better, I guess. Uh, let's talk about this clip real quick. I'm not a big fan of the term unskilled labor because that does not necessarily, uh, that's not accurate. There are plenty of people out there who don't have degrees or certifications who are very skilled in what they do. So the term unskilled labor is not a good representation of what people are, are capable of. And I think it's a little bit of a pejorative to say that, um, you know, I, I don't know what a better word is right off the top of my head, but uh, unskilled labor is not not a great way to put that. I don't think anyway. I know it's a common term. Four to five million uh, square foot plant, which is pretty significant. A billion dollar investment. They're going to build at, one, at least one um, at least one vehicle here. I'm guessing that they will build the semi truck and the cyber truck in the same facility or at least on the same location uh at least $15 an hour as you will hear during the public comments uh section and I only took 3 public comment calls as you will hear during that uh it is not um people don't think that's enough and I would tend to agree it's very expensive to live in Austin I've never been to Austin but my best friend lived in Austin for a while and he had to live he had to move pretty far out and he was in Travis County which I guess where he was, he was technically touching Austin. I don't know the area very well, but I know his house was very expensive and there wasn't a whole lot to his house. Anyway, uh, at least $15 an hour. I'm guessing Tesla will pay much more than that. Um, and then full benefits that includes stock. And then I thought it was funny. And I don't know if it's funny. They raised the the thousand dollar fee applicant fee to $150,000. So as to make sure that they could pay for all of the um, investigations that they needed to do. Next up is John Hockenios. He's a consultant with TXP. And then he kind of goes through what I think is a nice rundown of Tesla. And I'm going to be honest. There's, he doesn't highlight a lot of negatives. Um, he does touch on them, but he really concentrates on the positives here. One of the one of the things I was tasked with doing was certainly to take a take a look at the company and see sort of who they are, what they are all about. They're of course a quite well known uh, company out there in the world. One of the pe- one of the things that people ask about about the company is you know they're not profitable at this point. Uh, they are on the edge of profitability, but what they've been doing, as many startup organizations do, is is building themselves to scale, establishing a strong market presence. Analysts expect they will be profitable. Actually, I believe they might have been profitable in the first quarter of 2020. They were not quite profitable in, in uh, 2019. Expectation is that they will be profitable going forward. But in the process, what they've done is they've kind of created a pretty strong competitive advantage for themselves. They really appeal to folks who are early adopters, both in terms of electric and self-driving vehicles. And as a result, they've been able to sell, establish a nice market niche at a relatively high premium price. Currently have global employment that's, I think, approaching 50,000 people. It's over 48,000 for sure. 
And one of the things that they are also doing is pretty smart. They have a fair amount of intellectual property, which, of course, means patents and information and business processes and all that, both in the automotive world but also in the battery world. And that's helpful because, of course, those two segments of their business help feed each other, and it also helps diversify what they're doing because, obviously, particularly the auto sector, is a highly, highly competitive sector out there. So it's a company that has really kind of burst on the world stage. I would say has an outsized presence uh, in certainly in terms of markets and in terms of public perception as comparison to what they've actually achieved in terms of selling cars into the public. But they are very, very close to being profitable. And certainly uh, recent performance has been fairly positive. Next slide. Let me go to the next one, Deanna. There we go. So what's it going to mean for us in, in Central Texas? Well, they said... Certainly, they're going to bring in 5,000 middle-skilled jobs. I was reminded today, I knew that middle-skilled jobs had been a focus of the, uh, the study done a couple years ago, three years ago almost exactly. It was released by Workforce Solutions on the Community Workforce Master Plan, but it specifically targeted middle-skilled jobs and the definition of middle-skilled jobs being jobs that required more than a high school education but less than a four-year college degree focused specifically on jobs that were going to pay in the forty to $60,000 or so range and set a goal of finding 10,000 jobs and having people placed in those jobs, including of that 10,000, 8,000 people coming from the disadvantaged community by the end of 2021. Well, I don't know how much progress has been made on that. You'd have to ask Workforce Solutions. But 5,000 middle-skilled jobs that are exactly on that point is likely to be a pretty strong boost to meeting that goal, and certainly I think reflects the economic development focus of our community at this point. Now, having said that, and I'll get to this in a little bit more detail, that economic development focus, I think, has been broadened out a little bit by the current pandemic. But before, even before that, we weren't so much focused on creating jobs per se, as we were focused on creating jobs for folks who didn't have a four-year education, might be coming from a disadvantaged situation of some kind, might be coming from an experience with the criminal justice system, what have you, a, tar a segment of our community that had been historically fairly challenging to employ. This fits right with that. Obviously, they're going to do a commensurate level of annual sales activity to go with the middle-skilled jobs. I looked at what they've been doing in California, their headquarters out in Fremont, and it's my best guess that this plant will not quite have – the same level of secondary effects associated with it that the one in Fremont does, the ripple effects. So what I suggested was that over time, it would end up being somewhere between 40 and 60% of the secondary effects of the ripple effects uh, associated with this level of direct employment, which by the way, is the same as the level of direct employment in Alameda County. But I think it will have a slightly smaller ripple effect at least in terms of direct suppliers. So we were a little conservative about that. That's still about 4,000 plus new non-Tesla jobs. And that doesn't count the effects, obviously, if they become a magnet for other companies who say, hey, we just want to be in the same space Tesla is. Economists call that the cluster effect. That could easily happen with a project of this size, but we chose not to forecast that, just suggested it could be there. I want to go back a little bit to where we are right now, above and beyond the sort of structural need to work <laughs> around finding jobs for folks who, again, are in that middle skill position. We've seen the unemployment rate skyrocket here uh, over the last couple of months. 
When you put in furloughs and reduced hours, I think the real unemployment rate right now is closer to 25%. And nearly half of all the leisure and hospitality jobs in the Austin metropolitan area, which is the five county area, have been laid off, let go, permanently disappeared from before the pandemic until after the pandemic. Many of the people who are currently working, or at least were working in those jobs, could very well find themselves at home working at Tesla. So in terms of timeliness, given where things are, it not only speaks to our kind of long-run structural needs, it also speaks to our short-term respond to the pandemic needs. And that's pretty powerful. So what's it gonna mean? Well, these are really, this is gonna be the business, the, the real property investment that's buildings and land and all that. And then business personal property for these purposes essentially is equipment and technology. That's essentially gonna be the taxable value here it, at the peak year of investment, which I think is about year five, the estimated taxable value there that shows almost 5.6 billion is a sum over the 10 year period. And so what the company has requested is an 80% rebate, and rebate is a key word here, of their tax liability to be paid into the county. They will pay in a little over $21 million. They are asking to be rebated a little bit above $14 million, the county will keep 20% under the requested terms of about $3.7 million. And then above and beyond that, the company will also pay 100% of its investment and sinking fund rate liability to add on another $3 million or so. And so net effect here is, is that between the county keeping the share under the requested terms of the deal and the INS, the county keeps about $7 million bucks and the company has rebated about 14.7 million dollars of its total tax liability over the next 10 years or so. And again, you can see all that. For those of you who are not familiar, just to go back real quick, the INS fund is essentially the debt service fund. And so what it means is, is as the county uh, issues debt to pay for capital improvements, that's what we, under the terms of the proposed deal, would be paying 100% of their share of that debt service. Go to the next slide. And so what are the benefits? We really talked about a lot of these here. I'll just, again, 5,000 direct jobs that fill a targeted need right now in the community. There will be additional ancillary jobs and activity come from the ripple effects associated with that. There'll be the possibility, again, of seeding that new cluster in terms of relocations, expansions, perhaps new firms arising uh, from them seeding this advanced transportation energy cluster $7 million in net new tax revenue from the company. There is a cost. We did some looking at this, and, and the company is not asking for direct, the county to pay direct costs related to site improvements, but we estimated that about 10% of the people who will come to work at the facility will be new residents to Travis County. The county has operating costs associated to that, and so we basically measured that all out, assumed that there'd be 500 jobs that were new residents, a little over two and a half people per household, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All of that creates an estimated net cost of public services of approximately 1.2 million over 10 years. That also does, however, net out the costs, or excuse me, net out the benefits of these two new folks paying for housing in Travis County, and of course the property tax associated with that. So the bottom line, the benefits substantially outweigh the costs for the community. I mean, for the community, it's a, it's a marvelous opportunity. 
in my opinion, and it does also create a net fiscal benefit to the county after all these costs and revenues have been considered in the equation. Next slide. So one of the things we asked them to do is to say, look, you guys have been talking about wanting to make an investment in the community beyond simply paying your tax liability, and you've talked about some programs. How about you take 10% of the rebate value and set that as the floor so that the community can see there's a hard commitment to making those kind of investments in the not-for-profits, in the educational institutions, in the community development programs that we all as a community care about. And so we were very pleased when their answer was not only yes, but gee, we think we'll do better than that. And I think Deanna wants to talk a little bit about the specifics on each one of these, these different folks here listed under these bullets. So we have a little bit to unpack here. Um, first, I've always said that Tesla's biggest asset is their intellectual property. I agree with this guy 100%. Um, even if Tesla lost money to the point of they had to sell they're not going to go out of business. Some company, the brand is valuable enough that some company is going to come in and they're going to say, we can use these, we can use this intellectual property. And then on top of that, we can sell really cool cars that people seem to like. So I 100% agree. They mentioned the tax rebates. So I want to kind of go over how that works real quick. Tesla has to pay all of the taxes up front. And then the county uses a third party audit company and Tesla will pay for that company to perform an audit. And if Tesla meets the requirements, then they get 14-ish million dollars back to them. If they don't, then the county keeps the money. There's no doubt that having a company come in and build a billion dollar factory is gonna have a positive impact on the community's economy, but there's also gonna be some sort of negative impact. And they don't really go into the negative impact too much. At least the, the officials don't go into that negative impact. They touch on it a little bit, but it's not something that a lot of time is spent on. So I just want to, um, I just want to say that. And part of the public comment, there were two calls in particular, and they kind of piggyback off of one another, that highlighted the negative impact in a really good way. So I included those. So um, let's see here. They're going to have uh, $425 million in annual wages above and beyond what Tesla pays its employees. That's, the, that's that effect, that kind of halo effect of other companies opening up around it to support Tesla. So that's pretty cool for the community. Uh, Tesla is going to give back to the community through community programs. They had a list, but they're not really required to give to a specific program at this point. They have some that they absolutely have to give to, but not all of them. So I didn't list them here. Tesla is going to use reclaimed water, and then, of course, they'll, they'll use solar panels on site as well. And I, I feel like I need to reiterate this because <laughs> we're an hour into this. Uh, this meeting went for almost, I think it was two hours and 40 minutes. It might have only been an hour and 40 minutes. My brain is starting to melt a little bit. So um, I included what I thought was important. Um, so there were a lot of weird questions in the public comment section. And then there was a lot of weird questions from uh, like officials. Like one of the questions was, uh, why are Tesla's so heavy? Like that has nothing, that has no bearing. This was from an official. This wasn't from public comment. That has zero bearing on the actual uh, topic, at topic at hand. 
And another question was from an official. They asked Tesla, uh, don't you think that Tesla should be paying some sort of tax because they're, the county or the state or whatever is not getting their money through gas taxes? And Tesla did address that. But again, it has nothing to do with the actual um, topic at hand. I did put a link to the show notes. So if you want to go through the whole video and, and they have they have um, notes and they have transcripts, which whoever did that must have done an amazing job. Anyway, um, you can you can go to the show notes and you can go to that that link. So now we're going to hear from Tesla representatives. And this clip is going to be kind of long, but you're going to hear why they've chose Travis County and what they're going to do to work with the community. Um, so Rohan Patel is a senior global director for public policy and business development. And he and, and Valerie Capers Workman, who's the vice president of people, will be um, presenting. And then Karen Stately and Chris Riley will be available for to answer any questions. Rohan. Thank you, Director Ramirez. Uh, I really appreciate it. And as she said, my name is uh, Rohan Patel. I lead uh, the public policy and uh, business development team at Tesla, and that includes uh, site selection for our North American Gigafactory. Uh, I'm joined by Karen Stakely, who manages our policy efforts uh, locally in Austin, and uh, Chris Riley, who runs our educational and workforce programs. In addition to Val Workman, who is with me on our executive team and leads really the entire people experience at Tesla, recruiting, diversity, inclusion, uh, community relations, workforce development programs, intern programs, uh, our security team, uh, and our workforce and facilities. So I'll turn it over to Val here in a minute. Um, just wanted to give you a little bit of background first. So um, Tesla's mission is to accelerate the world's transition to sustainable energy and transportation. And that mission is extremely personal to me. Uh, my wife is a lung doctor. She's treating COVID patients. Uh, right now, and her, her research focus is actually the impact of pollution on the most vulnerable communities. Uh, my older daughter uh, has been in and out of emergency rooms with lung issues. And so this, this mission really drives me, but it drives every major decision that we make at Tesla. Uh, back in 2006, Elon put together a, a secret master plan, so secret that uh, he published it on the website. Four, four basic things there. Create a low volume car, um, which would necessarily be expensive. Use that money to develop a medium volume car at a lower price. That's our uh, Model S and Model X uh, SUV. And then use that money to create an even more affordable car at a higher volume. And that's our Model 3 sedan and Model Y crossover. And lastly, to provide solar power generation. 10 years later in 2016, we updated that secret master plan. We included three additional items. One was to create solar roofs, a solar glass roof with, with battery storage, uh, to develop self-driving capabilities that would be 10 times safer than a human driver, and to expand the electric vehicle product line to address all major segments um, to prove that electric vehicles aren't just good for the environment, they're not just efficient to drive, but instead they are the highest performing vehicles in the marketplace for sedans, for SUVs, for pickup trucks, and for semi-trucks. 
And so the next factor is really important to further develop that mission. And the, the location is critical, um, both to better serve our eastern part of the country, of the United States, uh, with our mass market vehicles, and in addition uh, to be a central location so that we can serve the entire country and beyond uh, for the cyber truck, which is our version of the pickup truck. I think you guys really enjoy it down in Texas. So over the last five months, our team has heard from nearly every state and governor uh, east of the Rocky Mountains. Um, I mean, we've, we've engaged in discussions with mayors, county representatives, commissioners, judges like you, Judge Bisco, and uh, many other governments to better understand uh, what we would like to see and also what partnerships and attributes are available at each of those sites. I think um, Mr. Hakenyos gave you a, a pretty good conservative estimate of what we plan to do um, in terms of jobs, in terms of investment. So I'm not gonna rehash those items, I'll, I'll, I'll leave those out. But I will just say that our factory will have a huge environmental positive impact. And as we have elsewhere, we're gonna design that into the factory itself, recycling elements into every part of the facility for our products, for water, for heat. Um, you know, and there, and there are pros and cons to each of these locations that we're considering, both in Texas, in the Austin region, in Travis County, um, and elsewhere outside of Texas. One of those factors is, and I just wanna address it head on, is tax agreements with state and local governments. Now, compared to most other states, um, you've got high property taxes in Texas, sometimes presenting some barriers to large investment. And that's especially true for businesses like Tesla uh, with extremely high machinery and equipment costs. So we've got, you know, as, as, as a part of our production, uh, literally some of the most expensive equipment uh, on the planet. Um, you know, and, and that's considered part of the property tax costs in Texas. So other states are, and, and local governments are providing much more significant taxing uh, agreements, in many cases, completely eliminating property taxes um, and other business taxes for 20 years plus. So we're not asking for that in Texas, but have asked for an agreement similar to what other large manufacturers have in place in order to make the economics work for us. But maybe more importantly, to provide a win for the county, to provide a win for the school districts, and a win for the community. So the, the incentives here in Texas and in, in Travis County would not be a reason for us to choose this location or Texas, but they are a prerequisite to make the economics of a factory work. There are, there are however, I wanna highlight three reasons why this particular site and Austin, more generally in Travis County, uh, have risen to the top in our search. Number one, the factory is gonna need a very diverse workforce. Um, already Tesla is a majority minority company, um, but when I say diversity, I mean both diversity in terms of people and diversity in terms of the type of production workers and engineers that we're going to need. John, uh, Mr. Mr. Hakenyos spoke about uh, some of that. Uh, about two thirds of the work that we're, workforce that we're gonna need will be production associates, entry level work. With a high school degree, with, some, with a little bit of training, um, we can get you out there. And the Austin region has that workforce, both in terms of the, the high level PhDs, but also in terms of some of the 
uh, production associates that we would need and, and material handlers. Number two, the site in Travis County is an old sand and gravel mining operation. It's along the Colorado River. And the potential is just great for recreation, for beauty, um, and the vision of being able to potentially transform an old mining site into a sustainable factory with recreational opportunities, that's just a vision that fits perfectly with, with our mission. Number three, we've had a lot of meetings with the school district. And I believe strongly that a partnership with Del Valley Schools would be advantageous for the local students and would also be advantageous for Tesla in terms of accelerating our efforts to mentor students, uh, to develop and train the next generation of the workforce. So before I turn it over to Val, I just want to say how much I've enjoyed these conversations over the past few weeks, um, discussing how we can be a partner to affordable housing with Travis County's uh, Housing Authority. Uh, we've discussed reentry partnerships with uh, Sandy over at the county's uh, justice planning workforce effort. Um, we've discussed how we can build on the fact that Tesla is a majority minority company with the LGBT, Asian, Latino, and African American chambers. But I have to say my favorite conversation thus far, um, if I had to choose, was with Dr. Burnett and her team over at uh, Houston uh, Tillotson. Um, you guys have, and we've had a couple of conversations now with them, and you guys clearly have a jewel in Austin, in East Austin even, uh, with that is institution. And I can tell you if we end up choosing to locate in, in Travis County, a partnership with HT will be top of the list for my priorities from day one. So let me turn that, let me turn it over to Val Workman uh, for the rest of the presentation. Val. Uh, I am so excited and so honored to be able to talk to you uh, today. And I'll ask you if you could, if you can mute your mic, if you're not speaking. Thank you so much. Um, so I just want to go over uh, some very important pieces of information. I want to expand on some of the uh, bullet points that were on the slide earlier. And I just want to get jump right in and talk about some of the things that I think will be most interested, um, interesting to you. Let's talk about the education and community impact um, that Tesla will provide. So we are focused on building programs that make a positive impact on our communities where our employees live and, and where they work. By opening the doors to our factories, um, empowering teachers through our development opportunities, and partnering with local organizations that help advance the next generation of innovators, Tesla is continuing to establish partnerships to help drive these changes. Let me talk about some of the things that we do. Teacher externships. Teachers are a critical link to developing the next generation of talent in our communities. And building on a pilot program that we started in 2018, Tesla started to host high school teachers for multi-day externships to learn more about the career paths available to their students right here at Tesla. We are also investing in K-12 education. As part of Tesla's commitment to our Gigafactory in Nevada, we have begun a five-year, $37.5 million investment fund for K-12 education that launched in June 2018. Today, we have established partnerships with local entities for the to accelerate robotics and sustainability programs across Nevada. We have a factory tours program that brings in 40,000 visitors per year that helps students, teachers, and the community understand how Tesla works, how a factory works, and what a sustainable future looks like. 
Introduce a girl to engineering day. We promote engineering careers for young women. We hosted 200 middle school students, 200 middle school students across eight locations to introduce girls to engineering. And we had 80 Tesla employees volunteer, including myself, to encourage young female students to see technology as a means to a future for their careers. We also have the Secretary of Navy tour with Industry Fellowship Program. In 2019, we further strengthened our connection with the veteran community through a partnership with the Secretary of the Navy tour with Industry Program. This program is a professional development program that places top performing U.S. Navy sailors with leading companies from one year, including ours. So let's talk a little bit about workforce development. It is critical, absolutely critical, that for, in order for Tesla to accelerate our transition to sustainable energy, we need a pipeline of talent, starting with high schools, community colleges, universities, including military individuals who are transitioning to civil careers. We need this pipeline of employment, and we certainly hope that um, Austin can be one of those locations. Through our targeted training and apprentice programs, we are preparing students and professionals to fill critical roles at Tesla. And I really want to emphasize this point. Students are critical right out of high school to become a production associate, to make a good salary and have phenomenal benefits. The high school kids who want to work and want an opportunity, those are the kids we want and we have jobs for them. But let's get a little bit more specific about some of the programs. We have a manufacturing development program. This is a two-year program where recent high school students surrounding our major manufacturing facilities in North America can start a career as a production associate while continuing their education and learning automation and robotics through neighboring community colleges. To date, we have placed over 100 high school students into this program since launching this initiative in 2017 at Gigafactory Nevada. And I just want to make a point that unlike other companies and other tech companies who come in and have to make up programs and say they do this or they do that, and they have to sort of build it on the fly, what I'm talking to you about are programs that are already established and things that we are already doing in the community. We also have a START program. This is an intensive training program designed to provide college students with the necessary skills to have a career with our service organization. And we have partnered with six colleges across the country to integrate the Tesla START into automotive technician curriculum as a 12-week capstone program, providing students with a smooth transition from college to full-time employment. So you can see we're progressing from high school to college. Through this program to date, we have provided 300 service technicians to Tesla and 90% uh, placement per, um, percentage for those who graduate from our program. Apprenticeships, Tesla tool and die apprenticeships. Starting at a factory in Fremont in 2017, this arose from the need to produce local talent. The vehicle manufacturing industry faces a critical shortage of tool and die makers with only 2% of the industry being under the age of 35. So this two to four year program combines on the job training with relevant academic learning. And to date, we have 15 team members in the apprenticeship program, and we expect to graduate several more over the next, next several years. We also have a typical Tesla internship program, which is a universal pipeline for talent across Tesla. We have over 1,200 undergraduate and graduate university students per year in the fall, the spring, summer semesters, and across nearly every business unit. So no matter if it's human resources, law, engineering, uh, production, there's an internship available for students who are interested in learning about careers in the automotive industry. And we provide hands-on, real-life 
uh, experience work so that they can develop a critical path to the careers to work for us. So let's talk about diversity and inclusion, which is a passionate topic of mine, one of my favorite topics. At Tesla, we believe in diversity and inclusion comprised of talented, driven, and authentic individuals who are encouraged to bring their whole selves to work. We value talented individuals right out of high school through senior executives and PhDs who are passionate about and committed to our mission. Our diversity and inclusion team, which reports to me, along with our business leaders, play an active role in bringing commitment to diversity and inclusion to life inside Tesla. And we infuse this into our recruiting practices. And we are also very proud of our employee resource groups who are, provide very important engagement activities for employees right inside Tesla. And right now we have six. We have Black at Tesla, and I am the former executive sponsor of Black at Tesla. I had to step down when I took on this new role. Latinos at Tesla, LGBTQ, veterans at Tesla, women in Tesla, and intersectionality at Tesla. And that's a group who don't want to be confined to a specific label, but they want to engage in career development for employees. Our ERG leaders are very responsible and very active in helping to plan um, and execute professional development programs, career development, and programming for the community. We also have a community relations partner uh, team, and these are local professionals hired directly from the community where our factories are located to be a liaison between Tesla and local community groups. And that would be um, when we select our new location, one of the first hires that I make would be our community relations partner for our new factory. I want to take a moment to talk about Juneteenth because it's a very important topic for me. Tesla fully supported Juneteenth for any employee who wanted to take the day off to celebrate, to reflect, and to participate in events that are meaningful to them. But when you look across the spectrum of all of our employees, you need to understand that we have employees who celebrate Ramadan, who celebrate Rosh Hashanah, and many different holidays. And we need to be sure to consider all of our employees before we make decisions about a paid day off. Now, we're hopeful that Juneteenth becomes a nationally recognized holiday. However, recognizing Juneteenth is not new to Tesla. Last year, in 2019, Tesla joined the Tracy African American Association in Tracy, California, of which I am a member, and we supported Tracy's Juneteenth celebration. Now, how did we do that? We brought senior level recruiters. We provided a booth. We took resumes. We did interviews on the spot. We talked about jobs at Tesla. We brought Tesla to the community and we sat right alongside black musicians, black artists, um, black vendors, and we were right there in the community for Juneteenth. Of course, we brought a Model X because it's really cool to show off the Model X. And it was also a great way for kids and families to experience what it's like to, to sit in one of our cool cars. So if social distancing becomes a thing of the past, next year we will be right back out in the community again, celebrating Juneteenth again. One of the things we did this year also I want to talk about is we launched what we call the Listen to Understand series. We did this two weeks ago. And this was a series that we had a moderated panel discussion with black leaders at Tesla. And we talked candidly about our first encounters with racism and how those encounters shaped our lives. And we talked about what it's like to receive a talk as a child and then to have to give that talk to your children. 
it was a painful uh, but real and revelatory session. And we had over 800 employees participate in the session, and we received over 200 compliments and comments from employees who, who participated. It was a great way to give a glimpse into what it's like to be black in America. And it was wonderful to share with our colleagues to have them get a vision of us that they really hadn't seen before. Our next session is going to be code switching, which is going to be equal compel equally compelling and equally interesting. Let's talk a minute about criminal justice reform, because this is another uh, topic that's very close to my heart. It is important to note that we at Tesla are actively engaging in mitigating the impact of what can amount to a life sentence that is served after incarceration, because it prevents people who have paid their debt to society, and in many instances have overpaid that debt to society, from becoming productive members simply by putting barriers to their employment. After incarceration, life sentences are handed down by putting artificial barriers to people who should be gainfully employed. So what do we do? In the state of California, of course, we have you know, ban the box, which prohibits any employer from prior to the interview process inquiring about uh, uh, convictions. But we take it a step further. After the background check, we read that background check and we look at it and we look at the person and not the paper. We look at are there petty crimes? Are there active warrants for small things? Minor offenses, minor offenses. What are the things that we can remove that really don't matter anymore that we can say to a, a person who needs a second chance, if you're willing to work, we have a job for you. And I'm so excited that we implemented that on our own. I also want to talk about socially responsible contracting. Tesla is committed, of course, to socially, responsi socially re responsibly producing materials. But we also are committed to diverse suppliers. And I saw earlier on your screen that there's a hub program. So what will be very exciting for me is that the supplier diversity partner who reports to me will be partnering with the HUD program partner to ensure that if we choose this location, we're working hand in hand and making sure that we are sourcing for diverse suppliers. Um, and we particularly are interested in minority, disadvantaged, and underrepresented business owners. That's a lot um, to take in. Thank you for listening, but I am certainly um, open to any questions. All right. So that is certainly a very long clip. No doubt about it whatsoever. I left the entire thing in there for one. Um, well, I left it in for two reasons. I think there was some good information. But the, the second reason is I was going to cut some of this out, but I was like, you know what? I talk a lot about on this show, I talk about a lot about how Tesla treats its employees. And as a general rule, I am biased towards labor. I'm pro-union. I am a union member myself. And I try to be fair to, you know, all companies, just not Tesla. But as my biases turn towards labor um, almost all the time. Like, I have to catch myself. I'm like, no, no, get the details before you make snap judgments. So that's kind of my, that's where I'm coming from. So I left this in here because Tesla, they, she talks specifically a lot about um, the programs that Tesla has for its employees, the groups within Tesla, and how change can be affected from inside the company. Now, that is Tesla's spin. That's Tesla's point of view. But I thought it was important to have it there. So, uh, you know, just kind of a general overall reason why I left it in, I guess. Um, why did they choose Travis County workforce? Uh, they can transform that mining site, which probably they didn't, they can get for, uh, you know, a song. 
they can transform that to a factory and then there's some sort of recreation site i guess that they're going to be putting in there because you know big open hole in the ground and then they're going to help out with education apparently because they want workers basically they want to farm workers from the the local groups and i know that's not a very kind way of saying that but um it's it's almost like a company store but not quite anyway um but not quite by a long shot to be fair there's my bias creeping in anyway and they're going to work with the community and all of these things tesla needs to do to curry favor with not only the officials but they also need to appeal to the residents in the area so now we are going to hit the public comment part so um this was a mixed bag (laughs) one guy plugged his business for the full three minutes there were technical problems it was it was honestly painful um but the first two uh of the last three clips we have is one was reason why you shouldn't give or the company or the the county shouldn't give tesla tax incentives and the second kind of piggybacked on that but i thought the two um the two calls in particular were well thought out and and justified criticisms so let's listen to the first one uh so just a couple comments on this um project that as presented um as a resident of travis county i strongly urge you to reject any um taxpayer subsidies that you may be considering to get to test up for the following reasons Tesla has a history of extracting incentives and subsidies from state and local governments and not following through on its commitment. Right now, um, Tesla has unfulfilled commitments to the state of New York for incentives it received for a manufacturing facility in Buffalo. Tesla's factory in California has been found in violation of local, state, and federal environmental laws on numerous occasions. For example, in 2019, the EPA found that it had failed to comply with air admission standards for equipment leaks failed to comply with management requirements for generators of hazardous waste, failed to make adequate hazardous waste determination for certain solid waste gener- generated at the facility. To Commissioner Gomez's point regarding uh, unionization just last year, the NLRB found that Tesla broke U.S. labor laws. The NLRB pointed to 12 company actions that violated U.S. labor laws that included letting security guards harass workers who were passing out union pamphlets in the parking lot, banning employees from wearing pro-union T-shirts, and buttons repeatedly interrogating union organizers and eventually firing one of them. A report from the Center of Investigative Reporting in 2018 found that the medical clinic inside of Tesla was designed to ignore injured workers. 2014 to 2018, Tesla's factory in California had more OSHA safety violations and paid more in fines than the 10 largest auto manufacturers in this country combined during the same period. In one instance, Tesla illegally denied to OSHA uh, inspectors at his battery factory in, in Nevada. Even when the inspector showed up with a warrant signed by a judge, Tesla still denied entry to the OSHA inspectors. How can we provide public subsidies to a company who has de- demonstrated such disregard for the rule of law and the safety of its workers? This month, Tesla was sued by uh, five taxing jurisdictions in Harris County, including Tomball and Umbel ISDs, for failing to accept it. Why would Travis County extend incentives to a company that's not able to live up up to its current tax obligations in the state. During the COVID-19 pandemic, Tesla blatantly violated the orders from Alameda County in California from the health department by closing its factory too late and opening it too early. If that wasn't enough, Tesla ran off to federal court and sued the county, saying that the the county's health orders were illegal and 
During the pandemic, when the county's time and resources should have been focused on more important issues, the county had to deal with a frivolous lawsuit from Tesla. How can we allow a company to come into our community that would drag Travis County down to federal court here in Austin for legally uh, enforceable health orders? Tesla has a history of condoning, sanctioning, and covering up racist and discriminatory behavior by its employees. Um, you can see, for example, this article from the New York Times in 2018 entitled Judge, that's three minutes. Many black workers at Tesla-based racism, African-Americans have reported threats, humiliations, and barriers to promotion at the plant. Thank you so much for your time. So from my point of view, um, almost all of those things he cited, from my knowledge, I guess, are accurate. What wasn't accurate or wasn't there, I guess, and he only had three minutes, was... Uh, there was no context backing those things up. He cited everything uh, properly, but there wasn't a whole lot of context. I think he probably could have given a few less things and given more context as to why. Uh, but overall, I thought this was a really good call and made some really well thought out points. There are also some positive reasons uh, positive reasons to approve Tesla for these incentives. But this gentleman had a completely different agenda, and I'm not sure he was looking to to uh, give a counter-argument to his argument in the three minutes that he had. So the next call we're going to listen to is the one that piggybacks off of this. So let's listen to that. Um, hi, I'm Susan Moffat, and like the speaker before last, I am concerned about Tesla's corporate record, but I also wanted to make two additional points for your consideration. First, this proposal touts jobs starting at $35,000 a year, which would have sounded great in 1985, but in fact, this is currently classified as, quote, low income at just barely over 50% of the median family income for the Austin Round Rock MSA. Now, those are the entry-level jobs, and I get that. But unfortunately, the average annual salary under the Tesla proposal, which would be 47000 a year, is still classified as low income under the current MFI chart. In fact, you don't hit moderate income defined as 80% MFI until you get to almost $53,000 for a one-person household or over $75,000 for a four-person household. What this means is that most housing for entry-level or average salaried Tesla employees will need to be publicly subsidized in some form by the city or the county. So it would be nice to have that tax break money you're considering giving away to actually help provide the affordable housing that these Tesla employees would need. And if you're looking for it, the MFI chart is available on the county website at slash health human services slash CDBG slash income eligibility. My second point is if this deal does go through, you will definitely want to be sure it includes a requirement that Tesla abide by local public health directives. We do not want them pulling the same stunt they did in California, keeping their factories running during the pandemic in violation of public health orders. So, um, again, a very good call. I would not want to have an argument with this person. Um, I think she would destroy me in fairly short order. She sounds very well organized and... Uh, I can barely make a complete sentence. So uh, I was like, wow, all of those are very good points. And these are things that Tesla is going to need to address in the community. They're probably going to need to raise that minimum um, pay and not the $15 an hour, which is equates to like the 37000 Because I think they said they were going to start around 47000 They're probably going to need to bump that up because there were some other callers in there that also mentioned that unless you're making... 
as a single person, $55,000 a year, or as a couple, $75,000 a year in that area, you're not going to be able to buy a house. You're not going to be able to live in the area. And I know that Tesla and other companies, they count stock options as part of the benefit package. However, if you're not allowed to use that star, you get granted stock. I don't know if it's options or actual stock. But if you don't get to use that stock in a year, two, or three years, I don't know what Tesla's rules are. But if you don't get to use that stock, um, it's going to be very difficult for you to buy a house until you get to that point or whatever you need to do, pay off student loans or just use the money to put it in the bank account. Um, it really doesn't matter. They don't really have access to that immediately. They have access to that over time. So this last one was from the president of the local Tesla Owners Club, and he's a realtor. So he actually made some good points about Tesla coming to the area and then also the opportunity to revitalize the area that Tesla will be building their factory. So let's listen to that. Thank you. Good afternoon, everyone. I, um, I'm the president of the Tesla Owners Club here in Austin. I'm also a realtor, so I can speak to the enthusiasm that all the owners have in Tesla moving here, but I can also speak to um, what I think is the economic viability of what this is going to produce in the area and the affordability of housing, I think. So uh, we started the group back. It's a grassroots organization. Um, uh, we've grown it to about 2,000 members in the Tesla club here. Really passionate group of people, super excited about the opportunity to have Tesla here and have um, that added to the ranks of Google, Facebook, uh, Apple. Uh, they're all building millions of square feet of space here, and being able to add Tesla is just a, is a, a game changer. Um, in speaking to the last couple callers who had mentioned housing, um, I have helped a number of, of uh, people that work for Tesla buy houses in the area, and I've seen them and become friends with them. And I've watched them personally move up through the ranks in Tesla. Some of them even go over to uh, SpaceX, have opportunities there. And so I've seen the internal um, growth that's possible and how you can get people that are coming in on the factory floor and through hard work, they're able to, to rise up through the ranks. And, uh, and in particular, um, you know, there are homes in that area in Del Valley that are in the range of 190,000 to 250,000 walking distance to this new um, gigafactory. And so when you've got homes that are that close, I think the traffic impacts, um, and there's a lot of land to develop around there, so the traffic impact should be mitigated by the, the proximity of developable land. Um, the overall price point that I'm seeing there is extremely attractive. And then you're probably gonna get a fair amount of people coming in through the lateral of 71 past the airport, and that's already um, a plenty wide enough space that can accommodate plenty of traffic coming through. So I feel really good about what's possible. You can um, live close by the, the, uh, the factory and still be able to, uh, you know, have an affordable house. So really excited about this. And, I mean, the economic impacts, as we've seen in Reno and, uh, um, and Fremont, have just been tremendous. In this year where we've had this economically catastrophic number of items that have happened, I feel like this is an incredible bright spot, uh, especially for Austin. And if we just look down the road 5, 10, 15 years, you know, being this head of uh, headquarters for Tesla potentially um, has the capacity to really change that entire um, section of Austin on the east side and really all of Austin in general to be just a world leader in technology. So super excited about it. And I uh, just want to say thank you guys for the consideration. 
All right, that was very well said. We are an hour and a half into this thing. I'm not going to say any more. If you listen to this whole podcast in its entirety, thank you so much. I appreciate you more than you know. So I have a little, I have a little present for you. If you listen to this whole podcast, email me. Uh, say you want a sticker, you want a button, you want both. I'll send them to you. I have uh, the retro kilowatt logo stickers, and I have some buttons that are usually reserved for folks who do something extra for the show and or uh, Patreon supporters. So if you would like one of these items, email me. You, like, you want both of them, email me. I'll send them to you. And uh, it's Bodie, B-O-D-I-E, at 918digital.com. Of course, you got to send me your address if you would like them and specify which one you want, uh, the button, the sticker, or both. And uh, what else, what else, what else? Oh, you can find me on Twitter at 918digital. Next week is uh, Independence Day in the United States. So that's going to be a very short show. I'm going to keep that show to 10 minutes um, because I would like to spend time with my family during that uh, particular holiday. So thank you, everybody, for listening. You can, again, email me. It's Bodie, B-O-D-I-E, at 918digital.com. I'm starting to feel a real lack of oxygen to my brain. So I'm going to end it here. I want everybody to have a great week, and I will talk to you briefly next week.